Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Divine Lantern. It's Alana from the Antiochian Christian Orthodox Youth. Under the blessing of His Eminence, Sayyidna Basilios, we present you with a podcast to educate, empower, and enrich. In today's episode, we'll be continuing the series on the unseen warfare with a talk on discerning of God's will by Father Nabil, and we'll also answer a question sent in by one of our listeners. I'll now pass it over to Father Nabil to get us started. In the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Beloved in Christ, I would like to begin my talk by expressing my sincere thanks and appreciation to His Eminence, Sayyidina Basilios, and the team at Divine Lantern for their diligent work in introducing interesting and spiritually uplifting topics and enhancing the way in which they are delivered. Today we'll be talking about the struggle with temptation within unseen warfare. This vast and broad theme naturally encapsulates many subjects, Today, I will be focusing on the subject of discernment. However, I will begin by saying a few words on temptation and how it leads us into the context of discernment. In one of his homilies, St. Isaac reminds us that temptation to sin comes upon all people, even the perfect. Quoting freely from St. Macarius of Alexandria, St. Isaac reminds us that our inner state is rather like the weather. It changes all the time. In another homily, he tells us, as soon as grace sees that a little self-esteem has begun to steal into a man's thoughts, grace immediately permits the temptations to prevail until he learns his weakness and seeks refuge with God in humility, end of quote. What the above tells us is that to solve our problem with temptation, we need to be saved from self-esteem. We must not be thinking great things of ourselves. We must be humble and meek, admitting that in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being, Acts 17.28 Also, remembering without him we can do nothing, John 15.5 Certainly, it is difficult for many to resist temptation because it often feels good to venture into it. Being tempted can certainly be a humanly pleasurable and exciting exercise. The way we need to deal with temptation is to resist, as St. James says in his epistles 4-7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Also, St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10-13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. In our temptation, we need to differentiate between good and bad, God's will or my will. Moving on to the topic of discernment, 
St. John Climacus in his book, The Ladder of Divine Saints, says that discernment is recognized as the assured understanding of the divine will. On all occasions, in every place, and in all matters, and it is only found in those who are pure in heart, in body, and in word. End of quote. In First Corinthians twelve ten, Saint Paul mentions the gift of discerning of spirits, which is very important. Saint John Chrysostom, in his commentary on this verse, says that these words mean the ability to tell who is spiritual and who is not, who is a prophet and who is not, as St. Paul wrote at the time of many false prophets. Also, we find many gifts are given to the various ones for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, as it says in Ephesians 4.12. It is clear that the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but consider them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. St. Paul accentuates the point in his letter to the Corinthians, first letter 2.14. Father, how do we know that our discernment is a godly one? Often I have been asked this question. In order to relate to the Spirit and acquire a Christian discernment in our decision-making, we need to live the sacramental life of the Church. Fasting and prayers are of immense importance. Attending visuals, reading scriptures, and the life of the saints are very essential. Sometimes we need to tap on the wisdom of the Holy Fathers in the faith, that great cloud of witnesses. In so doing, we can attain the purity of the heart, where the Holy Spirit resides, through whom a right godly discernment will be reached. So the key to it all is to be prayerfully serious, humble in our endeavors. This is what was done by Saul of Tarsus, if we read Acts 9.11. Even with Jesus of Nazareth, we read in Luke 3.21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also has been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him and bodily form like a dove. And of course, there are many other examples. There are three steps of the sermon process the Holy Fathers talk about, namely awareness, understanding, and action. One can say that these three steps run parallel to the three steps towards our unity with God by becoming godlike, purification, illumination, and deification, which are the goal of every baptized person. The ultimate result is the accusation of the Holy Spirit, as St. Seraphim of Sarov stated. Quoting from St. Gregory of Sinai, who justly said, Let us not remain what we are, but let us become what we once were. In my humble opinion, this quote summarizes the whole purpose of the incarnation of Christ, who came 
to restore our fallen image of old and to bring us back to our pristine beauty. If we look at the steps and the methods that lead us to know the will of God, we tap on St. Paul in his letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 1-2, and I quote, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. End of quote. By implementing what St. Paul is saying means that our love becomes a life of worship. In other words, the aim of our Christian life is to live in such a way that by what we say, what we think, what we feel, what we do with our senses and all our being will demonstrate that God is our priority. In so doing, the truth that we hold earns us. Therefore, we witness to the truth without fail. Our role model in this case is St. John the Baptist, who said no to Herod, showing that God and Christ is the supreme priority. St. Paul said earlier that this life of worship is attainable through the renewal of our mind. He stresses this point also in 2 Corinthians 5.17, where he says, If anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. We need to be fully aware that God wants our mind to be renewed, not to know his sovereign will about what is going to happen tomorrow, but rather to know his moral will. What does he want us to do? What does he command us to do? Looking at the sovereign will of God, we know in Ephesians 1.11, what St. Paul states, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And also in Luke 22:42, when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he said, when he was crying out to his father, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So this will of God is God's sovereign plan that he always executes. In exploring the moral will of God, also called the will of command, we note in Matthew seven twenty one, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father. Some of us do, and others don't. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, St. Paul says, This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Do we abstain? Some of us do, and others don't. Beloved in Christ, we just heard that the will of God for our earthly life is our sanctification. Are we endeavoring to be sanctified? This question must be answered with clear conscience, prayerfully and seriously, as it is a matter of life and death. 
Sometimes people ask if God's will for us to suffer. Certainly, suffering is alien to God's plan of life. Suffering is a result of the fall and a consequence of human sin against God. We read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. When Jesus said that his people would follow in his footstep, he meant that would include suffering. According to John 15.20, and I quote, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Also in 1 Peter 2.21, he says, To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. It is interesting to note, according to Matthew 5, 10, 12, in the Beatitude, where Jesus clearly confers a blessing on his followers when they faithfully endure suffering for his name's sake. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Through our sufferings and pain, Christ always brings us comfort. He invites us to draw near to him that we may experience his peace. Come to me, all who are labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, Matthew eleven twenty eight. I find it interesting what C.S. Lewis said, and he puts it in the context of awareness. Quote, When pain crashes into our lives, it prompts us to seek happiness in God rather than our own self-sufficiency. It rouses us from spiritual deafness convicts us of sin and reminds us that his grace is sufficient and his power is made perfect in weakness. End of a quote. According to Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So, we need to respond and open the door of our hearts, inviting Christ into our life who always accepts our invitation. We must stop and think and ask ourselves when the last time was when we invited Christ to come close to us. I think today is a great day to invite Christ into our life. That's what St. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, and I quote, In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. End of a quote. Suffering is the reminder that the real enemy is trying to keep us away from God's perspective, where healings, and promises are given to those who stay steadfast 
in the faith until the end. According to Revelation 2.26, we read, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Also in Corinthians 1 to 9, but as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things God has prepared for those who love him. End of quote. Of course, to love him is to keep his commandments, John 14, 15. Lastly, just to shed a light on the word when we pray, Thy will be done. What does it mean when we say thy will be done? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is the center of the Lord's prayer. It is the central desire of the faithful Christians. The whole purpose of prayer and the very purpose of man's life is to do the will of God. This is what Jesus prayed and did as we said earlier when he was seeking the cup to be lifted from him. When we pray, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying that something will happen that has not yet happened. We are praying that God will bring about his heavenly purpose on earth. We are praying God would use us to do his will. We need to be watchful. We need to fully understand. And not to confuse ends with mean. We need to act with the understanding. We must pray with humility and pure heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5, 8. Brothers and sisters, the choice before us in each moment of our life is between doing God's will or our own fallen will, or the will of the devil. In conclusion, I would like to finish in a few verses what I tried to bring forth your attention right through the talk by quoting what St. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 22. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. May God bless us and strengthen us and may we prayfully remember him with love and thanksgiving, asking him to direct our hearts and lives to the fulfilling of his holy will, making his abode within us now and always. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being interested in the spiritual realm. Thank you, Father Nabil. And now let's take our weekly spiritual dose and reflect on the words of our Holy Neptic Fathers with this week's Philokalic Nourishment. Call upon God to open the eyes of your heart so that you may see the value of prayer and of spiritual reading when understood and applied. St. Mark the Ascetic There is nothing to prevent us from calling a doctor when we are ill. Since Providence has implanted remedies in nature, 
it has been possible for human experimentation to develop the art of medicine. All the same, we should not place our hope of healing in doctors, but in our true Saviour and Doctor, Jesus Christ. Saint Diadokos of Fotiki. Just as it is impossible to cross the sea without a boat, so it is impossible to repulse the provocation of an evil thought without invoking Jesus Christ. Saint Hesychios the Priest. Why does Jesus refer to himself in the Gospels as the Son of Man? When I Christ, who called himself the Son of God, also referred to himself as the Son of Man. Eighty times in the New Testament, Christ is called the Son of Man, and he is called so to emphasize that besides having a divine nature, Christ also has human nature, which came with his birth from the Virgin Mary. He was made flesh and dwelt among us. Christ is perfect God, but perfect man as well. The Gospels, which describe the details of his earthly life, show that he was a true man, similar to us, and not a ghost or a phantom like those seen in dreams. As we can see in the sacred texts, Christ became hungry and thirsty, felt pain, cried, and felt the need of rest and sleep. He slept on the deck of a ship and under the shade of trees. His immaculate hands and feet were pierced by nails his side by a soldier's lance, and blood and water came out. Christ also wept at the death of Lazarus, showing his human emotion. These things were written by eyewitnesses, the evangelists. They are not fantasies, but real events. Over and over again, Christ, speaking about the time of his suffering, refers to himself as Son of Man. When asked where he lived, that he might be visited. Christ answered, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Christ lived like the very poor and tasted the sorrows and sufferings of human nature. He did not live outside the world, but in the midst of it, 
with its suffering people, felt their pains and sorrows, and the Son of Man cried with them. Christ is perfect man and perfect God. This is the teaching of our church, a teaching which is not arbitrary, but based on the Holy Scriptures. And whoever questions the divinity or humanity of Christ is outside both the letter and spirit of the Word of God. It is asked, how is it possible to unite the divine and human natures? We reply that the union of the divine and human nature in the person of Christ is truly a great mystery. As Apostle Paul says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. An example will give us some faint image of this mystery. We say that the two natures were united in Christ, unconfused, unaltered, unchanged and indivisible. But let us briefly look into every man and we will see the union of two dissimilar things. One is the body, the other is the soul. The first is perishable, the second imperishable. One is visible and the other invisible. One natural, the other supernatural. One is material, the other immaterial. In spite of this, however, these are united in man. How? It is a mystery. Therefore, as these are united in man, in a similar manner, the two natures, divine and human, were united in Christ. Yes, Christ is a perfect man. But how? Was there a perfect man before Christ? Our answer? The first man, Adam, was created without sin. But as we all know, the first man, Adam, did not remain in the state in which God placed him. He sinned. He made bad use of his divine gifts, and instead of being elevated, he fell. All men who come from Adam became corrupt, and their wickedness and bad habits, their crimes, impiety, and unbelief began to conceal that beautiful image in man. They cried and moaned for their corruption, and felt the need of someone from heaven to restore the image to save mankind. The one for whom men and nations were waiting appeared. He is Christ. He is the new man, the new Adam, the son of man. Christ, with his virtues, appeared in the world, becoming the image. And not just an image, but the original image. Namely, the unique, excellent example of virtue. For people to look to and imitate. With Christ as a prototype, people again become truly human, with all the depth and breadth the word contains. While outside of Christ, man is dehumanized, losing every element of nobility, not exhibiting the image of Christ. There is an ancient Christian saying attributed to St. Athanasios, which states that God became man so that man might become God. As such, we as Orthodox Christians understand that the gift of Christ becoming the Son of Man means that we, as man, can look towards him as an example of godliness.
Thank you again for tuning in to another installment of The Divine Lantern. For the latest updates on episodes, events, and other publications, make sure you follow our Instagram page at The Divine Lantern Publications or find us via the antiochian.org.au website. Remember that if you'd like your question on the faith answered, please send it through as a voice memo to tdl at antiochian.org.au. We hope you have a blessed day and we'll catch you all next week.